0: Hey guys, welcome back. We're gonna be talking to the next part, part two of kind of like the depression evaluation, uh, which is more of the safety assessment, the risk assessment that comes along with that. Primarily, we're gonna be talking about things like self injurious behavior, suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, the big things, right? The emergencies that come with psychiatry and the stuff that you have to ask as part of your evaluation no matter what. Self-injury is a thing that occurs. People do it for a lot of various reasons, um, and it's important to know how they do it, why they do it, what they kind of get from there, right? So there's lots of different versions, different ways to do it, and people will describe different ways of doing it. I'm not gonna go into like all the different ways here, but what you wanna ask a person when you're doing your evaluation is you wanna ask them, is this something that you do? How do you do it? What's the method? What part of your body do you do it on? How often does it occur? What are some stressors? What are some prompts for what happens afterwards? What does it do for you? What do you get out of it? And when was the last time you did something like that? The other part, this kind of second part that comes along with it is, are you doing this as a means of purely self-injury? or these kind of suicidal attempts, right? And we want to kind of get that differentiation between, is this something that I'm hurting myself with the sake of hurting myself, or am I hurting myself with the intention of dying? And that's the other kind of part that comes along when we're evaluating for self-injury, is saying, has there ever been a situation where you've came in with the intention of hurting yourself, and then it ended up being a little bit more and it became dangerous and we needed a medical intervention or safety intervention in some way, shape, or form. The next thing, of course, then becomes suicidal ideation. When I discuss or ask about suicidal ideation, I use a gradient, right? There's a, there is a gradient of this kind of thing. There is on one end things like chronic passive death wish, um, which I describe as a feeling as I don't want to be here. I don't want to be alive. It would be okay if I was dead, if something happened to me, if I went to sleep and I didn't wake up, I wish I wasn't born. These kind of things, these passive like I wish I wasn't here. Then it shifts over a little bit, right? Then it becomes more like I want to die. I want something to happen to me. I am doing more reckless kind of activities, things like I cross the street without really looking right. That's one way that people will be like, I just don't care. I drive recklessly, I drive without a seatbelt, I do some things that are more dangerous. And if something happens, it happens, right? Again, there isn't like an active, like I'm trying to kill myself, but I'm doing actions that put myself at a higher risk and if something happening. And then ultimately we go to act of suicidal ideation, right? So I have suicidal ideation, I'm thinking about this, this is something I want to do, I want to die, I have an intention to do it, I'm going to do it. And then, so there's ideation, there's intention, there's plan, this is how I'm going to do it. And it's always important to ask, what are you trying to do? What would you do? And the last part of that also then is access. Do You have access to these means, right? People may say things like, oh, if I were to do this, I would Shoe myself in the head right but then you have to ask the question do you have access to a gun that's when you're looking at things like hospitalizing getting a a higher level of care some sort of intervention that's possible or needed at that time along with that you have to look at things like past attempts you ask the person have you ever tried this before one of the main predictors of future events or future attempts is a past suicide attempt Right. When we talk about suicide attempts that have occurred in the past, we ask what happened. Again, what were the situations that prompted it? What was the feeling afterwards? One of the things that puts somebody at a higher risk of another suicide attempt is a failed suicide attempt. So if someone just came to the emergency room and they tried to kill themselves and they're like, you know what? And they, they weren't able to do it, getting them out, sending them out and be like, OK, go home is really difficult because that risk of something happening to go back and to finish the job quote unquote per se is really high. So that's always something we have to watch out for and ask for, when did these things happen? How do we feel afterwards? Do we express regret? Do we feel that this was like a disappointment because it didn't work? and really sussing that out a bit. The last part is homicidal ideation, right? Homicidal ideation is again, similar to suicidal ideation, but more so in regards to, are you having plans of hurting somebody else? And have you tried to hurt somebody else before? This doesn't happen as often. Um, When we look at the statistics, um, suicide outnumbers homicide two and a half to one um, in America. So again, there's a huge difference between suicides and homicides just in, in numbers in the event that somebody does say hey i have a plan i'm going to hurt or kill somebody else that's when we get into what's called terror off duty right the duty to warn we let that person know that hey somebody's coming after them or has a plan to come after them we let authorities know or whatever else needs to be done so that we minimize the risk and sometimes we'll have to hospitalize again in that situation where someone's like hey i'm gonna go and get x y and z i have something at home and this is how i'm gonna do it that's when we are more like we need to get you for safety reasons The last part of this kind of risk assessment that comes with self-injury, suicide, homicide, these things is asking about also protective factors. What are the reasons, what are some things that are going to make you not act on these things, right? Why would you not do those things? When there's been surveys, questions, we've done all the research about this, there's two main things that kind of pop up having dependents, so somebody like family members, um, things like I have pets, even things like pets, right? I have pets at home and I could never do this to them. I could never leave them alone. I have kids, I have elderly parents, I have siblings, X, Y, and Z, right? These, I have friends that I couldn't leave behind. This is one thing that, again, one of the biggest things that stops people from acting on an attempt. And the other thing, maybe surprising, maybe not surprising, is religion or faith or cultural beliefs, right? In a lot of cultures, religions, faiths, there is this belief that, hey, if somebody dies by suicide, they're damned for eternity. All right, so that kind of wraps up the safety of the risk assessment. Again, it's a mandatory part of every kind of psychiatric evaluation. When there was oral boards back in the day, when you're ever doing anything, you need to document this stuff. You need to ask about these things. It was like an automatic fail if you didn't ask about this. Again, safety, safety, safety is the biggest thing in psychiatry. These are the things you have to ask. And I usually stack it or put it together right after we do a depression evaluation because oftentimes these things are linked together.